Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm reviews editor Sherlyn Lowe. And joining us today is Nick Summers from the UK. Hey, everyone. How's it going? And producer Ben Elman here to chime in a little bit about electronic music and listener mailbag at the end. And uh, that sound you hear is Charlie XCX's theme song for Nintendo World, which is where we want to go right after CES. It is... It's wild. We've got a grab bag of news today and a chill news chat, I'd say, because uh, I'm tired of planning things and I'm tired of overthinking things for the show that will not be named. Which, oh, that, oh, okay, the plague. The plague. Okay. I'm still jet lagged, but I'm already having to plan for my next few trips. So thank you very much, Devendra. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcaster of choice. Drop us an email at podcastinggadget.com and please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, all reviews help people find the show. So let's head back to Super Nintendo World. Nick, what, what the heck is this? So we've known about this for a while. Nintendo is teaming up with Universal Studios to work on a theme park inside a theme park. So Super Nintendo World is going to be part of Universal Studios Japan, which is inside the city of Osaka. But um, we didn't really know what that park was going to look like. You know, we've seen a couple of incognito like overhead shots from people who have been trying to take sneaky peeks. But we didn't know what the attractions were going to be like and and really how it would all work. So, um, yeah, this week, kind of out of nowhere, Nintendo dropped a music video to tease it. um, And that's the the single, at least behind it, is called We Are Born to Play, which I believe was done, (laughs) yeah, by Galantis. And it's featuring Charlie XCX, which is pretty crazy. That's pretty cool. Well, I would say we don't, we still don't know what the park looks like. This whole trailer, it's a great CG fest. It is like a, it is a trailer for a movie, but with no actual footage from the movie. It's a very strange thing, right? Are there any characters in this uh, trailer that I would know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's Mario. There's like, you know, you you get to see the Mushroom Kingdom, which I actually think the footage you see, especially at the end when they're, you know, you see Mario kind of running on top of some blocks, for instance. I think that yeah. the sort of the hills you see around him is actually what the park is going to look like. Like the photos we've seen mm. of Super Nintendo World, that is how they're modeling it. There's quite a lot of sort of verticality to it almost. I don't think you'll be able to cool. physically climb up there, but that is the sort of general <laughs> aesthetic that they're going for. I want to punch some blocks. I want to throw some fireballs. There, there, there was a scene in the trailer of just like a ton of people throwing fireballs at enemies. I'm like, is this Battle Royale? Is this just mayhem uh, Mario style and everyone is murdering people with fireballs? I don't know. Nick, Nick, would you cosplay as Mario and go? Because I really want to see that. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, of course. I mean, they're aiming to open this park in the summer. It should be just before the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. So who knows? Maybe if we're planning some, some tech coverage around the Olympics, we can we can swing by and, and see this place, too. How, go otherwise. how will this work, by the way? Like, I think we know there will be wristbands. There will be like some things. 
uh, to kind of like keep your inter- interactivity in check in the park. And that's something Disney has done before. Do we have any sense of like new things Nintendo is doing? Yeah. So there was a media event as well, which they did for, for local mm-hmm. press. And there was a few details that came out of that. So there are these the wristbands that you see in that trailer. They're called power up bands. And they're going to sync with a smartphone app that somehow kind of tracks your activity inside the park. Um, apparently you can sort of collect coins as you go around and you'll be competing with other visitors in order to accumulate them. It is, it's huh. not really obvious how you collect them and sort of how you're rewarded with them, but that's the kind of general idea. And the app's going to, you know, of course, have the map of the park and show you the, the different attractions and the things you can do. But um, yeah, that, that sort of in-game system isn't super clear right now. Gotcha. It looks, I mean, at the very least, it looks fun. Like there's a clip of a guy riding a Yoshi and I really, I want that to happen somehow. I don't know what it's going to be. Is it going to be like a Segway uh, in Yoshi, like covered in Yoshi suit or something? I want to ride a Yoshi. Yeah, I think they have confirmed that there's going to be some kind of Mario Kart there. I think that is that of is of course. That's like the easiest thing to do, right? Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, I'll be interested to see what else what else they put into it. It reminds me of. Do you remember the packing game for the Wii U that was literally called Nintendo Land? Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's going to be like that, right? Where every sort of every sort of attraction is based loosely on one recreating of their the packing game that nobody bought from a system that completely <laughs> failed. Yes. Yes. I like the way you think, Nick. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it'll be a little better than that. <laughs> I hope Charlie XCX has a residency there. That'll be amazing. I just go for that. And also, as a brand new Switch owner, hey, I am now excited for all things Nintendo. That's good. Except for I don't like Mario, so. I do have one thing to say about the Charlie XCX theme song. Like, it's fine. It's good. I think that she was a very good choice for it. But I think the real heads know that Porter Robinson would have been the right weeb for the job to do this. He would have been a good secondary choice. I just want to say that this is the entire reason Ben is on the show this week, just to talk about (laughs) this, literally. To talk about Porter Robinson and how much of a delightful weeaboo he is. And this is when I say, who is Porter Robinson? Oh my god, thank you. I don't know. (laughs) I did not dare to ask. Here we go! Also in gaming news this week, uh, Sony announced that they are not attending E3 for the second year in a row, which is kind of uh, surprising when they have a pretty big product launch coming at the end of the year. Nick, what is up with that? Yeah, I think in, in years gone by, especially last year, it made a lot more sense just because we're coming to the end of the console life cycle and, and we kind of knew what PS4 exclusives were left. You know, we knew they were working on The Last of Us Part Two, um, Death Stranding, for instance, just come out, um, mm-hmm. Days Gone, all of this sort of thing. There's Ghost of Tsushima that's left and they kind of showed them a couple of times and the impression that we got from them was, okay, you've seen these. We don't want to just keep <laughs> coming back and keep showing you the same stuff, Right. So yeah, yeah. taking off last year made a, a bunch of sense. But as you implied, like this year, they've got a console to launch, which is kind of crazy. You know, Microsoft is going to be there clearly in a really big way. So now Microsoft is going to own the show, basically, because they have the Xbox Series X, which is, yeah, their big PC-like console coming. Uh, they're basically going to own the show. It's kind of, yeah, crazy. I mean, of course, Nintendo will be there too. And who knows, you might finally see this you know, heavily rumored Switch Pro that keeps getting talked about, but... They don't need... I I love this uh, console war, by the way, because Nintendo doesn't need to do anything. They just need to sit back and just count their, like, ever-growing bank account as, like, they pump out cheaper Switches. It's great. It's great for Nintendo. Let the... Let the big boys, you know, have their battle and destroy themselves, basically. Yeah, and I think this is an extension of really what we've seen with so many other tech shows, too, like CES and like MWC. A lot of companies are realizing that if they're on top... 
they have the power to set up their own events outside of the show mm -hmm. and they can draw people to that specifically right whereas for a show like e3 a lot of the smaller publishers maybe you wouldn't tune in just for them or maybe you wouldn't go to a convention just for them but sony they don't like have to be there they don't need that broader presence in order to grab eyeballs they can have their mm -hmm. own dedicated ps5 launch event sometime in the year and everyone is going to tune in like guaranteed yeah they'll own that news for however long if, if they were smart they do like a playstation week of just like here's some initial news like every day we'll drop some game news or something and just like own that cycle yeah uh makes a lot more sense than like trying to fight for attention at e3 yeah and, I, and for, as you mentioned earlier i think for microsoft it makes perfect sense too right they want more <laughs> of the the sort of week of E3 to kind of have their moment in the spotlight, right? To have mm -hmm. that. They're a bit of the underdogs in the console world, right? Because like they are coming from the Xbox One initially was not a great launch. It was kind of a muddle thing. And then Sony owned the like hardcore gamer sect for a while. So yeah, it, it's funny how the tables keep turning for both of them. Speaking of Microsoft, by the way, there was also that story about the Xbox executive who said they're not going to have any exclusive games for the first year, which is also, I think, like you're looking at all these pieces in play, right? Like I'm sure... Sony has already said that they're going to have PlayStation 5 exclusives. And basically, it seems like Microsoft is building this ecosystem of, like, the games coming will be on the new console, will also be on the old console, but they want to keep this cross-platform parity alive. It's going to be an interesting console generation. Yeah, basically. at least cross-gen yeah. is what they're saying, right? Like, there might be something yeah, that's exclusive yeah. to the Xbox family, but the idea is that at least at the beginning, if you've already invested in a One X... You don't need to have the Series X straight away because some of those games which come out at launch are still going to be playable yeah. on your system. So, Even though those are the owners who would want to buy a Series X right away. So this is getting confusing. It, it is. Yeah. It, the way they're going to have to try and pitch it, it will be, yeah, I'm interested to see how they do it, like what their marketing materials are like and how they try and avoid confusion between One X and One mm -hmm. Series X in store. That just seems like a disaster waiting to happen. But um, I, I yeah. guess I'm cautiously optimistic for now. Cool. One thing I want to drop here is it seems like Microsoft is taking the PC approach wherein you don't throw out your video card after, you know, four or five years. Like you could still play a new game, maybe at a lower resolution and much lower quality, but you could still play it. And it seems like that's what's happening with the Xbox line and also gaming on Windows. So if Microsoft goes that route and Sony just goes like, well, we're taking the traditional console route, like there, there's an interesting separation there in terms of gaming philosophy. Yeah, my, my only sort of footnote to all this is it's a bit of a shame that E3 is losing such a, a heavy hitter. You know, for, for many people such as myself who love games, this yep. is the kind of magical time of the year. Everyone who loves games wishes they could attend E3. And so to have such a huge tentpole platform holder not be there, it's it's going to hurt a little bit. You know, of course, we will still get anyway, that announcement at a different time of the year, but it's, it's going to suck not seeing them there. Yeah. You do also attend Gamescom, Nick, which is actually a bigger show than E3 and a more international show. So... I feel like we're also seeing the war between E3 and Gamescom happening. Gamescom is in what Cologne, right? Yeah, in Germany, and so much of Sony's groups, uh, so much of Sony's upper executives now are based in Europe. So there's a weird corporate strategy thing going on here. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, we're hearing there's going to be more news about PlayStation Five soon. I'm looking forward to maybe an Xbox event around GDC. Like there's a lot of stuff rumbling. So stay tuned to get it for all of that. <laughs> I love to be a wet blanket. So I'm going to take y'all from being super hype about your games conventions and take you back to the world of sexy web browsers. Uh, <laughs> Microsoft had some news this week. Uh, we, we take some hard tangents here. We do. It is fun. We love turning left, right, and 
180 degrees. Uh, but yeah, so Microsoft has some news this week. Uh, Devendra, you profiled or you covered the new Chromium Edge? I've been, yeah, covering this for quite a bit, which is a kind of a wild thing. About uh, almost two years ago, they announced that they're going to be giving up in the Edge HTML engine for their Edge browser, which was the thing they started when Windows 10 launched. Uh, and they're going to be moving over to Chromium. So essentially, they're making the core of Google Chrome, you know, the basic core of Edge. And that is, it's just kind of wild. It's felt like Microsoft giving up a little on the uh, the whole thing of building a browser. Um, in my conversations with them, it seems more like, well, if if we have a good core that we don't have to like worry about fighting with Google so much, uh, they can build another feature. So what's happening this week is that the, the new Chromium version of Edge is officially out. You could download it, install it for Windows 7 and 8 and 10 and also Mac OS. So... This is a brand new Microsoft browser that's actually not terrible. It's fast. It's secure. Uh, there are going to be some new features I really like. Um, there's one called Collections where you could just, like, grab a bunch of websites, uh, put them in, like, a drawer, and just share that list with people. So if you're, like, house shopping or apartment hunting, you can take that list and turn it into a Word document. You could turn it into an Excel spreadsheet. Like, it is very much like a Microsoft nerdy productivity thing. Uh, but I find it really useful for collaborating for things like vacation. So it's a better browser. That's all That's all it is. It's finally a good version of Edge that I can just tell people, just use that. You don't need to go and get Chrome or Firefox immediately. Um, I yeah, still any do, thoughts though. on this? Yeah? I, I have so many thoughts on this sure. because I gave up on Internet Explorer ages ago. Like, I don't know, in 2000. I hope. And... Um, it just I don't know I just I guess you've com- you've com- you have to convince me more because now you're telling me this one other feature they've got over Chrome is collections which sounds like well, exporting they have a, they have a, a bunch of list. they have a bunch of other features and I think much more usable privacy settings like there are a lot of people who don't trust Google in terms of what Google is doing fair. with their data yeah so the, this is not an alternative it's so basically the hook here is that Microsoft's new Edge browser is going to be a bit more private for you than yeah. Chrome is. It's still, I'm sorry, it's still not going to stop me from installing Chrome the first thing I do when I get a PC. Also, Internet Explorer still exists? Inter- well, no, Internet Explorer does not exist. There is now a Internet Explorer mode within the new Edge, so you can launch a special tab that's like isolated because, Sherlyn, people, first of all, companies suck and they have old web apps that yes. only run in like Internet Explorer, so I-, I used to support this crap, so yeah, that's why these things still exist. Uh, so, yeah, you can run, like, this isolated browser to run an old web app or something, which is great for IT people and, like, corporate users who just need old internet stuff. So that's great. Uh, the actual Internet Explorer app uh, is not going to get uninstalled from PCs, but new computers will not ship with any Thank sort God. of Internet Explorer. So, yeah, this is a good thing, I think, for computing as a whole. It's a great, fast new browser that's safe. Uh, it's going to be the default in Windows. It's the thing most people are going to end up using. So it's a good thing. I don't know. We'll see. Nick, what browser do you know. use? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm on Chrome, but I've certainly experimented with other Chromium-based browsers. You know, there's Brave, there's Vivaldi, there's Opera. There's a t- it feels like there's a ton of choice, but when you really boil it down, almost all of them, bar Safari and Firefox, are based on Chromium these days. So whilst there is competition, really when you get down to it, there isn't that much competition in this space, which you mentioned this in your piece, actually, Dev, is a bit of a shame that we're, still, that we're, we're sort of losing yeah. a bit of that in terms of the open web, right? I think as a, as, a, as a philosophical problem, it does stink that there is less competition against Google. Um, like when Microsoft announced this, uh, Mozilla you know, penned a blog post saying, like, this is actually terrible because now it's more Google getting control of the web and the way the web is shaped. And it's not good for anybody. Um, I'm glad Mozilla is still around, and I'm, I hope more alternatives pop up. 
But it is like, yeah, it's a good thing for users. It's a bad thing maybe for the web as a whole. But hopefully, you know, Microsoft needs a good browser. So I can't blame them for making this move. I do adore Firefox. Yeah, I was, was going to say it makes it makes Edge more competitive, but also it reduces competition in the market in a way, which is, I don't know, I feel a bit kind of torn on that. Now for another potentially divisive topic, Twitter's edit button will or will not like appear. Like apparently, so Jack or Dorsey in a Q&A with Wired said basically like they will not be an edit button anytime soon, at least as things stand. Um, I think I think like despite so much clamor for it, I think that's actually the good way to handle this. But Sherlyn, Nick, what do you think? I live on Twitter, as everyone knows, and Instagram. And Yeah, um, I have you muted, yeah. Thank you. No, you don't. You clearly don't. You reply to everything I tweet, Devendra, stop. Um, but Their filters aren't that great. I'm trying to oh, block Sherlyn okay. out. I'm trying to not, mute you. Now they tell me when working. you reply to people. you got to stop. <laughs> like Anyway, did, did Jack Dorsey give a reason as to why there will never be an edit button? Is it like too much work for them? or? I don't think um, he didn't really dive too much into the specifics. But let me see. So the quote is, when you send a text... You can't really take it back. And he's kind of pointing back to like Twitter as like an old, it used to be basically an SMS service. Yes. So uh, to continue his quote, he says, we wanted to preserve that vibe, that feeling in the early days. Of course, you can't actually delete tweets. You can. So you can't delete texts yeah. as much as I'd want to sometimes. <laughs> uh, Nick, thoughts? Yeah, he did also say that they have experimented with offering or thought about offering a window where maybe for the first 30 yeah. seconds or for the first minute, you can change your tweets but he, like the gmail unsend thing, right basically. right yeah. but he didn't he didn't say we're going to implement that or we thought it was a good idea he just said that we've thought about it which is yeah, promising yeah. i think that's what people's assumption is they've just got their head in the sand and then and they've never ever even considered it so uh, to know that they've at least thought about it does fill me with a yeah. little bit of hope i do also fall into the camp of i'm happy not having it but i do appreciate yeah. why people do I'd much rather live with the world where, oh, man, I get a typo that gets out there or I plug in a wrong link or something than a world where people can literally abuse the mm -hmm. whole, like, tweet editing, like, mm -hmm. say something then change it at the last minute. You can imagine how, like, um, certain, certain, like, trolley types would abuse power like that. Imagine a tweet that got really popular. Yep. 14,000 retweets. Everybody's posting it, lots of blue check marks, lots of, you know, government types or journalists or something. And then you can edit it post facto to say Hitler did nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the first, so that the basic idea of tweet editing, it has to be a time limited thing if they ever do it. It has to be like very controlled. I don't. The other problem is like Twitter is a very it's all about instantaneous conversation. So I don't think they can ever implement something where like there's a 30 second delay on your tweets because you need the whole point of the platform is to have this real time conversation. If it was an optional feature for somebody who wants that safety net, maybe that's OK for somebody who wants like a slower speed uh, to their Twitter interactions. But then it's like it's. I also feel like that could get trolled. I, I don't feel know. like yeah. I, I wonder how you would do that. Anyway, I just think mm -hmm. that there's ways to yes, there's ways to like prevent that post facto thing from becoming like a, a huge problem. Where like with Slack, when you edit a message in Slack, it shows you the history of who edited it and what the original thing was. Mm -hmm. There are ways to go about doing that. But that's but... that Slack is internal. It's much smaller. Sure, it's not it's, broadcast. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm not on board fully with an edit button either like i'm on that camp but i'm saying that there are ways if they thought they like thought carefully enough 
they could, but there's I feel, I feel like it just opens too mm-hmm. many cans of worms. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's why they're well. That's it. that's what I'm listing. Like I think the the temper the idea of giving some people this cushion of space to edit why some for people whatever. who. No. Who would you give this cushion to? Whoever wants it, surely. This is so. This is the difference between having a feature that's enabled instantly for everybody, and just like if right now, if you want to make your tweets private, you could. Yes. If you wanted, just mm-hmm. like that, it's your choice. And so, an edit button for some people. No, it's a. Tr- it's your choice if you want to give yourself that tweeting cushion. Basically, like your tweets won't go out immediately. So restraint. Restraint. Okay. Thank yeah. you. That's I thought we were talking about an edit button feature for some people. I was like, that doesn't make I any sense. I need to put an edit button on Sherlyn. I need to put an edit button on your face. <laughs> I, I just but see this is yeah yeah. I, I just think it makes the platform. It would make the platform a bit messier, and you can say it's yes, messy to yes. have a typo in your tweet. But I think talking about different revisions and being able to look those up, you know, when we're when we're battling misinformation these days and yeah. and sort of rewriting history, like this is only going to make things more complicated, in my opinion. <laughs> no, I'm with you, and also welcome to the family, Nick. <laughs> Sister and brother are fighting. Oh boy! No, it's okay. That's that's every episode. So, Sherlyn, you also want to bring up something something big that's happening. So, I don't think we. I mean, Engadget rarely gets a chance to cover a lot of political stuff very much, just because yeah, we don't really want to get into it. But this week, um, you know, China and the U.S. signed Phase One of a trade agreement, and it is, I think, an encouraging sign. And I think it would be very, um, it would be short-sighted if we didn't cover it like if we wouldn't we, we would look like we were too naive or like well, no, it's an encouraging sign it's of an like encouraging the sign trash fire of... that was about to be started is less of a trash exactly fire. like we're it's it's thank god we're not headed <laughs> in that 2020 way that's progress baby yeah and on the same day <laughs> the impeachment articles i believe were signed um but anyway uh what happened here was the with the signing of this uh phase one trade agreement the China promised to spend two hundred billion, I believe, dollars on American goods to even out the trade imbalance a little bit, and at the same time, the U.S. rolled back some tariffs on a certain category of goods, and they were like lower level uh, devices, so like smart home, smart speakers, and the that U.S. Sort of actually stuff. gets very little out of this deal. I I I I don't want like I'm not going to go too much into what that means. I think that on the grand scheme of things this doesn't move a lot of things that much. Like there are still other issues in tech related to the tense relations between the two countries, like Huawei being caught in the crossfire. Nobody understands what's going on there. I swear to god. Some people will yeah. argue to the death that Huawei That, that may be Huawei's own fault there. I, I will say we're talking to a lot of companies here in the US like Logitech and others who are like they don't know how to price their products right, because exactly. they're getting made in China. So, like, there may be an extra $30 fee exactly. that they have to add. So that's the sort of problem we're seeing over it's, here. It's the little companies that will be affected the most by any sort of tariff because the big companies can absorb and the little companies can't. And I spent a lot of time talking to um, a lot of CTA representative companies at the show floor last CES, which is 2019, and they were all worried. And so I think mm-hmm. this is an encouraging sign it means like it's got a lot of like I, I mean i'm maybe too optimistic here but i think it's a good thing for th- people in tech to not have to worry about this i don't know nick you're you're in a, a whole other part of the world dialing in from the uk what are your thoughts on this watching from afar i, I just love that it's called phase one because it makes me already <laughs> invested in the kind of trade war cinematic universe that seems to be slowly emerging <laughs> that, that's all i can really the say last about jedi it. is coming yep <laughs> it's basically it that's right yeah, that's the best way to put it, Nick. Thank you very much. 
Talking about other trash fires, uh, the Away CEO, Steph Corey, has decided she is not stepping down from her company after uh, after there was a bunch of reporting from Verge and elsewhere about her terrible management style and just like the way she's been treating employees was kind of abusive and not great. So after that reporting came out, she was said she was going to step down. Um, there was going to be somebody else coming in as CEO this week. We started the week off with her saying, no, no, no. I'm back, I'm, baby. I'm, I'm back. She's going to be co-CEO along with the new person. That's she just she can't let go. She can't. She can't let go. It's been proven. Have you read any of the messages that they leaked or the screenshots of the messages? She can't let go. She At can't, 2 a.m., she's can't texting employees. This is just – so I don't. we haven't really talked much about this story overall, but it is one of those things where this is – this feels like the height of uh, privilege in Silicon Valley. Like, this is something where the press and employees and a lot of people were talking about how they were being treated and the management style here. I remember seeing when this story initially came out, a lot of investors, a lot of people within the Valley were like, oh, I, to- I don't see the problem here. Yeah. Like, she, she's doing defense. her job. She's being a good Do CEO. It. Client first, baby. Yeah, by working her employees to the bone. This has been a really good story to talk about the disconnect between, I think, the insular Silicon Valley people and everybody else looking in at this crazy community. So good luck with that, everybody working there. The Away flagship store in New York is actually right down the street from us. And every time I walk by it, it is completely empty. I think they give out <laughs> coffee now to get people to come in. But it is, it's one of those things where it's just like, man, I wish we could all just agree that treating people badly is not a good management style. I got to say, like, I, I definitely judge people at the airport now where I see away suitcases. And I'm like, hmm, do you That's the know? only reason you judge people at the airport? That's not the only reason. It's one of the many reasons I judge people at the airport. I have, a like, a good friend who has two away suitcases. And we're like, mm. maybe don't use them maybe anymore. Don't use them. I don't know. I don't know if it's, like, cancel culture for away. But it's the sort of thing where it's like, first of all, away. The, the only thing special about away at the beginning was that they had a battery pack in their... In their suitcases. And there were a couple other companies doing that. They all raised a ton of money, but Away managed to survive by the amazing innovation of having a removable battery pack because the FAA uh, didn't want, like, they needed them removed when they were in cargo holding. So it's just one of those things. Like, Away was never that great. It was always this weird brand identity thing of, like, oh, I have a special Away bag. They, it all, is, they also talk about know. the whole, like, traveling culture that the company apparently stood for. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't, that, what, huh? <laughs> Huh? Go go traveling and be so like privileged that you spend a ton of money on nice looking battery charging suitcases yeah. to then go traveling. To be fair, it's not more expensive than like some other brands, but sure. it is I don't think it's as functional. I had an away suitcase, like they're larger carry-on. It was just it was noticeably smaller than the Travel Pro I use as a carry-on everywhere. Uh Travel Pro people, lifetime warranties. Just spend Samsonite the extra money has and a get a yeah, Samsonite, get a Travel Pro, get something else. Like you, anybody have luggage gadget tips? I will say four wheelers have yeah, gotten I love so much better. Yeah. Four wheelers are great. Um, Wait, Nick travels yeah, a ton too. Yeah, Nick, what what are your thoughts here? Travel Talk, our new podcast. I'm just amazed that when The Verge's reporting came out, the the quote that she gave or the apology she gave, she said it was wrong, <laughs> plain and simple, right? That, that, those, those were her <laughs> yeah. words. And, and now it feels like she's saying, yep. actually, it wasn't that wrong, right? <laughs> Which is, <laughs> I'm just shocked that Away would risk doing this, right? I mean, it's hard yeah. to say in terms of the public how much they will care about all of this. You know, we think about Uber, for instance, how much of an impact did that really have in terms of their leadership change? But you just think, what? like, why would you 
why would you risk a potential fallout with customers and also because a lot of the ways that they do marketing is through influencers right it's through sponsorships and this sort of thing yeah it's possible that a lot of those people who they rely on in order to advertise these suitcases will maybe think twice about being associated with them right and so even just to bring her back on board i mean she was always the plan was always that she was going to move over i think it was to an executive chairman role you know, and have the, the the sort of the new guy come in as CEO. Like that was always their plan. And once this reporting came out, then that was all sort of accelerated. But I just think to to have her inside the company, especially in a co CEO role, is just it feels really risky. I mean, maybe their sales have tanked so much that they're like, well, it doesn't hurt to bring her back on. The people who have stuck with us are going to stick with us regardless of whether she's there. It is the question for the board. It's the question for the investors. It's just like. Sometimes I look at Silicon Valley and I just like I talk to people on Twitter. I talk to VCs on Twitter and they have these crazy beliefs. And I don't know, there's this crazy like libertarian philosophy going through everything. There's it's hard to really talk with them. But this is certainly an example of pure Silicon Valley extremism. Let's move on to other nice stuff. Um, we won't be talking much about CES after this week. I want to forget about the show I know. entirely. I know. I mean, yeah. listen, it, it, it will trail us just a little bit more maybe until tomorrow. But uh, we still did have to, like, even though we love Vegas, some of us were still churning out stories from after the show. Uh, you know, I had to, I published a, a follow on the state of foldable PCs because that's all I saw. Devendra got in a fight with Richard Lawler on our team about... about... AK. <laughs> AK is dumb. AK is dumb, everybody. Go read our piece. But right now, AK is dumb, dumb, dumb. It's entertaining to watch them file their copies and fight it out. In, in Literally, yeah. Richard's piece starts with... My colleague Devendra will have you believe, and he more or less calls you an idiot. In I his will opening. say, Richard Peace, his whole argument is that AK is fine. Which, if that is your, <laughs> if that is your strong argument in favor of this technology, uh, no, yeah, my maybe, favorite, yeah. maybe it's not the best place to start. But yeah, we will get Richard on at some point. We'll yeah. nerd out about this. But I will say, there were a ton of AK TVs at CES. They look good. Uh, I wish they weren't all just playing the same damn YouTube demo reel. Like, I wish. I wish there was more, but there's not. You can go read that that thrilling uh, article between the two of them. And I will say they did hug it out at the end. So it's great. Uh, and then, you know, Nick, uh, I'll throw it to you to talk about what you uh, wrote after the show. But we, I also wanted to shout out uh, James True's piece on how 2020 will be a year where um, hearing aids will be discreet, uh, finally. And I think that, I mean, I'm a big fan of anything that improves accessibility tech. Mm-hmm. And uh, take a read if you if you have, you know, any hearing issues at all. You might you might be encouraged by what's coming this year. Yeah, that's probably the best outcome from like the rise of uh, wireless earbuds, yes, right? It's absolutely. like a lot of this tech is going to be moved into hearing aids. So that works. That's cool. Nick, what did you write? Uh, towards the end of the show, I, I wrote a piece on a company called Emotech, which a couple of years back uh, sort of won the hearts of, of show attendees with a, a smart speaker called Ollie, which was donut shaped. And the big thing about it was that it was going to have its own voice assistant, its own kind of AI um, built from the ground up. And it was going to somehow like adapt to your personality. Like it could become more of a sort of quick talker or maybe be a bit more relaxed and placid, depending on what you're like as a person. Um, It came out on Indiegogo. It got tons and tons of money. And surprise, surprise, we haven't seen anything about it yet. So um, (laughs) I kind of checked up with that project to see like what on earth happened and discovered that the the co-founder told me that um, they've moved over to a sort of software licensing model. Like that's where they think that their their revenue is going to be in the future as a company. They're trying to make the assistant like ready for the classroom and this sort of thing. And they're still working on Ollie, the speaker, but 
they don't have a timeline for when it's going to come out and hardware is hard hardware is is hard yeah that's the main takeaway from all these poor little hardware startups yeah Yeah. so for backers for backers i don't i don't have good news unfortunately but um it's it was a good opportunity to look back on on older projects and see you know, if they'd actually come to light. I will say, pro tip for everybody listening to the show, do not back hardware Do not startups. back anything. Stop. Stop. I yeah. think Pebble was, like, the last good one, and even that took, like, a while, and yeah. that was very long ago. And now Pebble has, like, it existed, it was backed, it was, like, a company, and now they're dead. So it's never a good story. Anyhow, if you are still in the mood for CES stories, be sure to check out Engadget for all of the riveting follows. Meanwhile, we're pretty much done with CES, except for... So we got some listener mail. Yay! Love it. Hey, Dylan. Speaking of CES stuff, so last week you were talking about the weird Westworld dinner that you went to, uh, the one where there were a bunch of actors and, like, they were all pretty much told to do the, like, Uncanny Valley version of social interactions where you're not quite sure if they're robots or not and they knew too much about you and there were definitely microphones all over the place. Mm -hmm. The entire place was mic'd up. Mm -hmm. Dev, you said that this was actually kind of interesting because it was a way of getting past the weird, like, getting to know you part. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, it just felt like uh, after you get past that awkward phase, it's sort of like, well, I could use this for parties. Like, when I go somewhere I don't know anybody, this would be a really useful service to have to make me feel more comfortable. We got a uh, listener mail from Dylan from London. So he says, big fan of the Revive podcast. It's a much must listen to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But getting to the important part, hearing you talk about the Westworld party that you went to last week reminded me so much of the types of events that I used to be booked to attend whilst attending Imperial College London. You mentioned you see events like the Westworld one happening in the near future, but they've already been happening for decades. It's called accompanimenting. And it's say it that word again. Accompanimenting. Wow. He says it's your sole job to attend various events as a plant to stimulate conversations and to make the actual guest or guests feel like they are being heard and engaged with, and to promote particular viewpoints or ideas. Huh. It's a little bit like lobbying on the fly. <laughs> You would have to know everything about your guests beforehand, usually weeks in advance, so you can be unscripted when you speak to them and give them a feeling of familiarity. These guests are typically donors to the college or well-established professionals and experts, though you'd have the occasional VIP from abroad. As part of the program, we would need to attend workshops on public speaking, presentation skills, mannerisms and style, and even one dance class. (laughs) It was fascinating, well-paying, and though strictly never discussed, the college turned a blind eye to relationships emerging with the guests. That's, what? Okay. So first of all, of course this existed. I was going to be like, this explains so many of my... (laughs) I'm waiting for the the Love Actually rom-com of this. It's like... Oh, you're so you know so much about me. You're so easy to talk to. Oh, you're actually a plant for me to feel happy at this party. But we can make this relationship work. There's something real from this accompanimenting, and that is the name of the movie. Pretty Woman 2025. Yeah. Or How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Mm. You know that that show without the losing part. I don't know. Uh, Nick, did you listen to our podcast last episode? I, 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 of course not. Wow, putting Nick on the spot. <laughs> he did not. What, what I will say is I've done my fair share of networking events in London, and either I haven't encountered one of these plants, or I have been 
so unsociable that they have been unable to to sort of bridge that divide between me and their and supercomputer the is just like yeah this guy's we're still working on yeah this, this guy's a no hoper let's just let's just abandon him <laughs> you're too humble you are not in any way unsociable you do not want people to tell you do not want me to tell people about that Tumblr about you. Listen, we do not talk about CES adventures and mishaps and oh, yeah, what I... happens in Vegas, Sherlyn, what stays in Vegas. You don't need to tell me that. <laughs> I've left all my adventures behind. Yeah. <laughs> so as a Brit, you don't know anything about this? I, I mean, I haven't heard of it. And as I say, if I've experienced it, I have not been aware of it. <laughs> I don't think so it's good. a Britain-specific thing. I think it happens worldwide. It's just that like people are so good at being I subtle about it. I think we found it. a new podcast series. Oh we need God. to find need these to people. Them. We need to talk to them. I would, I would be one of these people. So I was trying to do a little bit of research on this to see if like there's a Wikipedia article or like some long history mm. of this sort of thing. Really, it was just like Google results saying you spelled accompanying wrong, this or is, you'd like put yeah. m- too many letters on the it's back like end of that. Fight Club, you don't you don't talk about accompanimenting club. So oh. the Otherwise, one thing that I yeah. found was literally one tweet hashtag accompanimenting, and it was for clearly an escort service. Yeah. I was going to say it yeah. sounds very much like escorting, and the entire escort service website was all in Polish. <laughs> Google Translate, yo. Oh, man. You don't want to know. You don't want to know. It's good. It's I do feel like, the best. just on a broader level, like, we are awkward. Like, people are awkward. Nobody I likes to feel awkward. awkward. So there are a ton of ways. Like, I feel like we as a society have figured out ways to make people less awkward. So I'm not surprised this has been a thing. I'm sure tech will, like, infuse versions of this into the future. Robots. Robots. Robots will do this. Know. Oh, man. 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 Well, I found my new calling. Uh, I'm going to try and find a way into the world of accompanimenting, and I'll report back. Hey, Nick, what are you working on? Uh, well, I've got a, a feature in the works that is still early days for now, but I'm starting to get the interviews together for it, uh, all about esports and how there's a lot of pros now who are sort of bucking the trend that, you know, you get into the scene when you're 18, 19, maybe as some kind of child prodigy. You, you play for a few years and then you retire and you become like a streamer or a coach or something or other. And, <laughs> when do you um, retire, by the way? Yeah. And when, like at 30, I guess? Well, That's when you're old? Pe- pe- people think that usually it's like your mid-20s, right? Like I think, I think peak performance is supposed to be 2021, 20, that sort of thing. Um, and <laughs> and that's, just, that's just not true, depending on the game that you're playing. You know, th- yeah. There's people yeah. playing Street Fighter and Tekken that are well into their 30s, if not 40. There's the, the Tetris world champion for the longest time was a guy in his 40s. And even in some of the younger games like Overwatch and League, we're starting to see people kind of starting to get up to that 30-year-old milestone. So um, yeah. this piece is all about talking with those people about how they've managed to extend their careers for so long, how their industry is changing, and, and you know how long they expect to play for. So it's all about sort of the the kind of elder statesmen of esports, or the, or the, or the kind of the, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. the Roger Federer's of esports. Yeah. It's, that, it's that kind of thing. I cannot wait to read about uh, septuagenarian like <laughs> esports players in in like a couple decades you like where do these people go over time like like i think the games will evolve because people who grew up playing games may still want to play yeah, games they when they're do. much much older when they're senior citizens I know of a lot that's of gonna be really people. fascinating yeah. yeah who still play games sure Devendra being one of them oh wow <laughs> oh you know yeah i am old <laughs> and playing games uh i did not just discover nintendo like a newborn child <laughs> like i am Charlotte. fresh and young i am fresh meat what are you working on Charlotte? 
I am working on, oh, talk about depressing. I am working on a review of the HP Elite Dragonfly laptop. It's a super, very lightweight, super compact laptop with Core V Pro power. I guess that means stuff to y'all. Um, and I am taking some Sundance briefings like you are, Dev. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also pre-planning the Samsung Galaxy Unpacked event, which is coming up very quickly. I've already booked my flights to San Francisco for that and also booking all my Mobile World Congress appointments, which I think, Nick, I'll see you there, right? Yeah, man, I can't believe we're talking about this or even thinking about it already. Uh, yeah. I'm still trying to get over CS jet lag. Please, please let's don't just, talk to me about let's Barcelona. Just deal with it. Dude, it's coming up. My it's, like, appointments uh, are booking up already. This is this is our life. I am also in the midst of like planning for South by Southwest, which is a show that takes place in March. So it's actually not too long, and now is the time when I need to plan. So maybe we'll get some podcast stuff out of that. Maybe you'll find something at Mobile World Congress Absolutely. too. Trillin, looking forward you? to all that yeah mainly this planning i'm doing a couple of reviews uh right now working on reviewing the radeon 5600 xt which is the mid-range gpu they announced uh amd announced back at ces so better 1080p gaming look for a review on tuesday and yeah that's pretty much it what is keeping you sane like we're all so busy we're all working so much sherlyn i hear i hear you got something <laughs> you make that sound like a disease yeah i got a switch <laughs> and i discovered how much more fun having a switch in my life makes long-haul flights yeah i literally like as i was taking off to vegas pulled out my switch started playing overcooked because that's the only game i played. L- let apparently. me just say it is just glad i'm glad to hear sherlyn is not playing the goddamn like built-in airplane games <laughs> like Anymore? that's the only reason <laughs> do they even have plants versus zombies for switch <laughs> For a Switch, no. Yeah, it would it, also it be... There. Well, but it'd be dumb to play, like, that game on Switch and I play on my phone already. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah, trying sure, to get sure, games sure. that I can only play on my phone, uh, on, on Switch. And so, anyway, I played... I took off playing Overcooked 2 and, like, when I finally gave up playing, I looked up and we were about to land and I was like, this <laughs> is amazing. You just changed my life. So then I went on a binge and I started installing other games, like... You know, you know, I installed Resident Evil 5. I played a, a demo. Actually, yeah, what games are you playing so, on your Switch? So, so I consider myself a real gamer now that I've played a demo of uh-huh. Resident Evil 5. But I also uh, installed Snipperclips at the suggestion of Chris Velasco. That's all right. Yep. That's a good one. I also have been playing Overcooked 2, which, <laughs> sure. And um, Just Dance, which I'm super into. They have K-pop on there. They which, do. holy crap, it is getting my moves which on. Which Switch did you get? The, the the regular guy the second gen regular um and yeah i i bought it secondhand and the person who i bought it off of hasn't given me everything that comes in the package yet so i still don't have the joy con straps which is terrible uh, oh luckily you could get a ton of those on amazon yeah nick anything keeping you sane yeah as i just mentioned you know i'm still recovering from jet lag <laughs> from ces it's a very long flight from from las vegas to london um so one of the things that managed to keep me awake over the weekend was i've just started watching the uh, second part of the latest season of Terrace House, which just dropped on Netflix. Um, so this is the kind of the the reality TV show based in Japan, but it's like very it's a very sort of endearing and much more whimsical version of of Big Brother. I absolutely love it. It's so easy to watch, and yeah, this is they break them up into these these twelve episode parts, and the second part just dropped before Christmas, so it's been great to just kind of slob out be a vegetable and and slowly find my my sleep cycle and sanity again i love all the the like japanese shows too like they're very they're very chill i really like uh was it midnight diner 
the one where it's just like the guy who hosts like a late night cafe and like he solves I think you'd like this really it's like a late night bar and it's just people who come in after work for like a meal and the the chef is just like this wise guy who like helps like solve people problems like he's a therapist Ooh. and a chef and it's a show about food it, uh, <laughs> and they're making a movie about it right now too so. I, I I it sounds a little too chill for me to be honest I like Korean variety shows like Running Man honestly y'all should check that out you just it's- need constant Constant conflict. Constantly bombarded with... It just with... needs to keep going. Yeah. As for me, I am playing Neocab on my iPhone, I... which is this fun Apple Arcade thing. Let me just say, Sholin, uh, I'm, I'm so sorry. You're you're cursed with an Android phone <laughs> because Apple Arcade... <laughs> <laughs> that was can a you, very visceral just, reaction from Can me. we get like a bleep? <laughs> yes, Sholin, because Apple Arcade, I find, is a, a great service for just like, I need... A good game. I need a good game for this flight, something to get me interested. And I love that I can just like go around and like pick a game and it's interesting. So Neocab is this thing. It is similar to like the narrative uh, storytelling games from like Telltale and like Life is Strange where you're a futuristic Uber driver just picking up people all over the world and like listening to their uh, to their adventures. Um, it's a fun game. It's a really good flight game because it doesn't need much uh, movement. And much you don't really need to do much. It's more about choosing the conversations. I will say, um, I can certainly tell like it feels like the studio doesn't have much room for direction because there are certainly elements where it's like they can only like animate people sitting in the back seat, even though you're going to pick up your friend who you haven't seen in ten years and you'd probably sit in the front seat together and like hug or something. Clearly there are limits to this game, but I like the writing. I think it's a fun chill thing. <coughs> yes. <coughs> yes. <coughs> I've already played this on my Switch. On your shows. Oh, really? How much did you pay for it? it? I downloaded a demo, so it was free. Oh, so you could play it for like an hour? I'm paying like nothing. I'm paying like $5 a month, and I could play this game and so many other things. It's, it's kind of great, actually. $5 a month. So I, I, I can't like believe that to wind down from work, you're playing a game about the gig economy, which is d- yeah, definitely tech-related. <laughs> It's Dev, definitely me. It's, it's Dev's ultimate fantasy to be an Uber driver. Oh, man. The, just or imagine. There, there, There is something romantic, though, about the idea of, like, being a cab driver and hearing people's stories. Like, this this has been a long time thing. I'm thinking of, like, that Bob's Burgers episode, too, where he becomes oh, a cab driver for a night. Uh, it, it, it just kind of lives into that whole thing. Well, this all comes full circle. This is Dev's long con to become a, you know... Lyft driver, and also then parlay those things uh-huh. that he learns into accompanimenting. Listen, uh, don't you guys remember the opening of Logan, where after all of his adventures, <laughs> poor Wolverine Old is just a future Uber driver, and that's really that's the end for all of us. That is, you know, I don't believe in afterlife. I don't believe in heaven or hell. I do believe that we were going to be stuck in purgatory, just driving, driving other people, people around. around. I'm the bad place. I'm sticking with Crazy Taxi, guys. I need something that's a lot more optimistic than this. And that's it for the show today, you guys. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter. And I chat about movies and TV and stuff Sherlin will never watch at the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. If you want to talk to the ever-optimistic Nick Summers, he's... Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at N.I. Summers. Meanwhile, you can always tell me what games to play on Switch or try to friend me on Switch. Uh, I'm at Sherlin Lowe on Twitter. Uh, make sure to email us your thoughts and feedbacks at podcast.engadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on literally anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. Come back next week for a fresh new episode.
clap the sound of my heart, the beat goes on and on and on and on and.